The following Downstage Center program was originally broadcast in August 2007. Welcome to Downstage Center, a presentation of XM Satellite Radio and the American Theatre Wing. I'm John von Susten, Program Director of XM28 on Broadway. And I'm Howard Sherman, Executive Director of the American Theatre Wing. Our listeners to XM28 have heard actors say that they got their equity card in a certain production. There have been references to equity rules, certainly a lot of references to Broadway Cares, Equity Fights AIDS. The word equity keeps coming up, and it's all in conjunction with Actors' Equity. And today we're delighted to have the Executive Director of Actors' Equity with us, John P. Connolly. Hi, John. Hi, how are you? Good, thanks. Actors' Equity in its very basic form, it's a union representing actors and stage managers in Broadway, off-Broadway, national tours, many other productions. I think a good place to start, though, might be with how Actors' Equity itself got started back almost more than 90 years ago. It's a very interesting story how the union got started. Yeah, it really is. Um, uh, it's a lot of interesting history that, that many of us starting out in the theater when we did uh, didn't really know and had to acquaint ourselves with as uh, we realized how important the union would be in our lives. Many young performers like myself at one time um, really looked uh, at the achievement of being able to join Actors' Equity as kind of the mark of excellence in their own career. And that was the standard. That's what you shot for. That's what you wanted to do because that's what meant being a professional was, was being an equity member. And... Um, it actually, uh, the beginnings of Actors' Equity uh, had very much to do with uh, the way people saw themselves in terms of their uh, their own self-respect and how they were respected by the theater community. Back in 1913, when Equity was founded by a small group of uh, actors secretly meeting uh, in the Players Club down on Gramercy Park here, uh, because if you didn't uh, meet secretly when you were forming a union, you were blacklisted and weren't working in the theater ever again. It happened earlier in the century by the first trade union of performers in the United States who were vaudevillian performers uh, in a secret organization called the White Rats. Can you actually believe that someone called their organization the White Rats? But it was a very big organization, an underground organization of vaudeville performers, many of whom, once they were discovered by the employers in the vaudeville circuits, were blacklisted and thrown out of the business and never to work again. So in 1913, when leading actors came together to try to form a trade union that would help to establish some basic rights and uh, uh, levels of pay, etc., in the theater, um, they came up with the name of equity, just directly from the meaning of the word itself, which is equality and reasonable fairness. And uh, so the union struggled from 1913 to 1919 to try to become established. If I can just interject, there have been sure. many abuses against actors, people not getting paid, people being out on road companies, getting stranded without pay, no way to get home, providing their own costumes, things like that. So that was one of the reasons why they formed it. That's it? absolutely true. That really was the uh, was the classic story of being you know, in Omaha and your manager makes off with the uh, box office and you're stuck there without a railroad ticket or a way to get home. And uh, so that is one of the reasons that uh, that the union was formed. Um, and, of course, at the turn of the century, in the early part of the century, actors were not always thought of in the same kind of grand terms that we are thought of today, if I could be so bold. And so there were often, uh, literally, in, in rooming houses, hotels, 
uh, even uh, restaurants uh, uh, signed that said Irish and actors need not apply. No theatricals. <laughs> no theatricals. And so, you know, there was a real question of self-respect for people who had worked hard in, a, in what came to be known and respected as a noble profession. So in 1919, the real origin of actors' equity uh, uh, flowed from a dispute that chorus players had in uh, the, some of the great musicals on Broadway uh, about being paid for rehearsals, which they never were, uh, and having proper heat in the dressing rooms in the winter, things like that, providing their own costumes. And eventually the chorus players became so enraged uh, that they, at the non-responsiveness of the producers at the time, they literally went on strike show by show and shut down Broadway. And it was led by chorus women. Uh, and literally led in a great march up Broadway in 1919, which put the union on the map and secured recognition uh, on the part of the union uh, by the producers. And then after that, when they organized and the producers started uh, adhering to the rules. And one, one producer said something like, I'll start adhering when you force me to. Something to that effect. I think that's true. I think I think there were a number of folks who said mm-hmm. that, and, and sometimes that's what's required, and that's what the doctor ordered, and that's what happened. Well, let's jump from the history to the today and and what goes on. You are the new executive director taking over a union that in 2005-2006 had 17,372 members who worked under an equity contract. How many members altogether are there in the union? That's a great question. That that 17,000 figure, by the way, was the total number of members of Actors' Equity in 1973 when I got my card at the Walnut Street Theater in Philadelphia. And so to have that many people working in a given year means something to me. The total number of, of members of Actors' Equity right now hovers around 46,000. Uh, and so the, the union experienced phenomenal growth. Uh, in the in the 1980s and 90s, uh, and in some sense, we believe that that is at least part, partly due uh, to the expansion of the theater across the country, which really began in earnest in the late 60s with the establishment of the early regional theaters and really accelerated through the 70s and 80s so that there are professional theaters implanted in just about every city of any size from coast to coast. And that means that we've had an opportunity uh, for members, uh, actors to become professionals all across the country, and it's really thrilling. Well, since we're not going to quiz you, I'm sitting here with a fact sheet, and it's worth noting that of the various contracts and work weeks out there, the production contract, which covers Broadway and touring productions, was responsible for just over 69,000 work weeks. Uh, the Lort contract, which represents the major regional theaters around the mm-hmm. country, was just over 59,000. So for all of the people who just think of Broadway and tours as being the bread and butter of the working actor, it's clear that what's what has grown up across the country since certainly the 60s is now really shouldering a significant amount of, of the work that that's got actors out there. Yeah, it's true. And it's also very exciting because many of the regional theaters, I spent 10 years in the regional theater before I ever came uh, near to being a New York actor. And I really uh, not just learned my craft, but really enjoyed my craft in in that part of my life, especially because not only uh, are you introducing the classical repertory to many, many uh, um, 
uh, um, cities and towns around the country. But uh, the regional theater is also responsible for an enormous amount of development of new work. And uh, so it's really kind of exciting uh, for a, a lot of reasons uh, that, that the regional theater has been so successful. Well, before we go on, let's let's cover a few basics because while we certainly probably have members of the union who listen to the program, there are many people who have heard of Actors' Equity and don't fully understand what it is. You spoke of the threshold. What does it take now to become a member of Actors' Equity? Essentially, um, there's one determinate way you become a member of equity, and that is you're offered work as a professional in a company that works under an equity contract. Well, people say, well, wait a minute, though. Don't you have to have to have, to have an equity card in order to get cast in that company? And the, and the joke used to be that you could get your card by getting into an equity show, but to get into an equity show, you had to have your card. So well, it always sounded like a catch-22. It's not quite true. The fact of the matter is, if you're talented... Uh, and you are seen by a producer or a director, and they want to hire you, and you are not yet a member of Actors' Equity, and you are hired into a, a show covered by an equity contract, that's the main way you become a member of Actors' Equity. Uh, and that's how the vast majority of our members uh, join the union. But can an aspiring actor just sign up without having that role? Do you have to have the role first? No, you really, you really do have to have an offer, a bona fide offer of employment uh, to uh, to uh, to join the union. And there is also a system of points uh, that exists. What what's that all about? There's a um, there's a program uh, which has been instituted. Gee, I'm sure it's more than 20 years old at this point. Called the Equity Membership Candidate Program, and in many of the regional theaters around the country, uh, the casts uh, don't have to be 100% equity uh, in order to help these. Uh, theaters with the extremely high cost of production uh, and to provide a training ground for young actors. Equity has agreed with many of the regional theaters around the country to permit a small proportion of the cast to not be members of Actors' Equity. Most often, these folks are what we call equity membership candidates, young people coming out of training programs uh, who aspire to make their living as uh, theatrical professionals, and uh, they'll, they'll play small roles or walk-ons in the shows, get experience working with uh, professional actors, and according to the number of weeks that they are employed in a given show or in a given season, they'll accumulate points towards equity membership, and it helps them, it helps them join. Well, who are the members of Actors' Equity? I mentioned just actors and, and the stage managers, but can you break that down a little bit? What, what types of people? We've talked about Broadway. We've talked about touring companies. Well, it, it's a great question because it, 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 in a way it kind of goes to the heart of who are these actors anyway, you know? Um, often we're, we're thought of as slightly strange creatures and live exotic lives. Um, there's some truth to that. Because, you know, you have to live by your wits and you have to live at risk your entire life because there's no guarantees in this business that you're going to remain successful or be successful. And so for someone like me who always kind of felt that uh, I kind of wanted a relatively secure life, I always found it kind of comical that I actually ended up a full-time working actor, never had another job in my adult life. And I, I thought it was odd because basically my life 
was assumed in in risk every day. I the the biggest one of the big choices I I made in life was getting out of bed. You got to get up and face a day where you're not guaranteed anything. I didn't have a permanent job. Didn't have a guarantee that I have one. And I found in a strange way that I really enjoyed that. I enjoyed the challenge of it. And it really surprised me. I didn't think it was in my personality, but there it was. And that's how that's how our folks live. And it's kind of wonderful in a way because our members provide a ready source of highly skilled labor without demanding a guaranteed job in return to this industry. And it's, 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 it's quite a subsidy, really, to the existence of the industry. But who are these people? Are they strange creatures? Are they exotic? In some ways, perhaps, um, there's a lot, perhaps, uh, of, uh, of, of, of need to express yourself uh, found in people who become actors. Um, there's a need for companionship, perhaps. Who knows, psychologically? I think it really covers the waterfront in terms of the psychological types of folks you find as our members. Um, but one of the things which is quite wonderful and and hardly ever recognized is that at base, members of Actors' Equity, the professional performers and stage managers of this country are a lot like the rest of the people in this country. We come in all shapes, sizes, ages, races, backgrounds, genders, and we have a lot of the same concerns. How am I going to qualify for health care? I got a couple of kids. How do I get them to college? Do I have enough money this month for the mortgage? And so what I always like to emphasize with professional performers is what we have in common with the American people, not how different we are. Well, what's interesting to me is you alluded to this. These people are always looking for the next job. There's no such thing as working 30 years at a company and retiring with a gold watch and all that. It's pretty rare. <laughs> shows start, except for Phantom of the Opera, shows start <laughs> and stop. And, you know, they may run a couple of performances. They may run two or three years. But eventually you're looking for another job. And a lot of people just couldn't go through that. So I think that gets in part to, to the nature of what you're talking about. What also is interesting is... These people are performers on a stage, live performances, yeah. not movies, not television. So it's theater people as opposed to movie or television. They may also do work in those mediums. Yeah. But uh, And what interests me on the fact sheet that Howard was referring to, the average earnings are just over $7,000, mm-hmm. which is by any standard quite low, poverty yeah. level, if you look at it that way. And the, for, for everyone who's making a big buck in the theater, there's a lot of people who are probably waiting tables and doing those other jobs just to make ends meet. Uh, I think that that's probably true. Um, it is also true that professional performers uh, throughout our society uh, have various ways of, uh, of, of, of scrounging together a living. Uh, you work in commercials, you work in television, movies, as well as theater. Um, there are folks who simply work in the theater, and that's their mission, that's their life, and that's all they want to do, and God bless them for it. And um, it's possible to do that. It's possible to do that because we have a reasonable set of terms and conditions and wages that allow people to function as responsible adults in the society. But it's not easy. You're absolutely right. It's not easy. Well, John spoke about the different disciplines that actors obviously can work in. Equity covers those who are on the legitimate stage. You have just come from being the president of AFTRA, the American Federation of Television and Radio Artists, in what was an elected position. Now you are coming to a staff position at Actors' Equity. The people who work in television and radio, are there different issues, or are these all the same people, and they just have a bunch of different affiliations? What are what are the things you want to look at for the benefit of the members of Equity now that you're here? Well, for myself, being an actor, 
there are many similar uh, parallel issues, whether I'm working on stage, television, motion pictures, or on the internet for that matter. Uh, but um, not everybody who is a member of AFTER, for instance, is at all like a person who is a member of, of Actors' Equity. At AFTER, uh, represent not only actors, traditional actors on television and radio, etc., but also recording artists, all the big uh, royalty artists, uh, rock and roll and opera and everyone else are members of AFTRA. So that's a different that's a different piece of the entertainment business. And we also represent uh, 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 the members of uh, the working uh, news media, uh, as well as DJs, etc., etc. So uh, the, the membership slice at AFTRA is a little different than, than equity. And the other thing about it, and, and John... You, you alluded to this. I think it's very interesting. Without disparaging skill sets, because if you're really going to make a living, you gotta you, you should be able to cobble together a, a wide range of skill sets as a performer. Um, the specific skill sets of the theater are extremely demanding and really, really unique. One of the truths, uh, just flat out, and I learned this by making probably around 500 television commercials, which taught me how to work on camera and uh, actually financed my ability to stay in New York and be a Broadway actor or try to be a Broadway actor in the 1980s. The truth of the matter is, in front of a camera, you only have to get it right once. Maybe from a couple of different angles, but you got to get it right once. In the theater... You've got to be able to turn it out eight times a week. It is really an industrial job. And you've got to be able to rediscover the the soul and, and, and spark of a show over the course of a year or years. Now, that is a gigantic challenge. And not everybody can do it. Not everybody can also, you know, not everyone can be spontaneous and extraordinary in front of the camera either. That's a specific set of skills and noble skills they are. But I come from the theater. I always wanted to be in the theater. The theater is really what I cared about. So I was so thrilled to come home here to Actors' Equity, uh, even though I moved from the elected working actor side to the staff side. And it's really, really beyond exciting to uh, to be back full-time in the theater uh, with uh, where I started. It's interesting to hear you describe people who are performers, who are artists, as doing an industrial job turning out eight of the same product each week. <laughs> How do you think your membership would react to that? <laughs> well, I, it's int- that's a great question. I mean, some people would frown and say, what is he saying? But the facts are, um, when, you, when I call it an industrial job, I, I basically do that to get people's attention. Because the truth is, um, um, not only is doing eight shows a week in a theater, whether it's Broadway or St. Louis, extremely challenging physically, and whether it's a musical or a straight play, it's a gigantic physical uh, challenge. And your ability to focus your attention and your emotions to reproduce that piece of work eight times a week is is probably the essence of the real talent of acting. Um, you have to do it and not do it by rote or dully, or stupidly, or mechanically. You've got to rediscover it and recreate it every night. But you've got to be able to do it in a way that that fits within the parameters of what you've rehearsed. So there is actually an industrial challenge to repeating a product, uh, but infusing it with special life. Ask anybody who has done Beauty and the Beast for the last 13 years. And, you know, 
these people, these men and women, try to infuse that show with the same adoration, love, respect, and energy on the last night yesterday that uh, that they did the first day they stepped on stage. And it's really a miracle, really a miracle. You know what's interesting? Again, on that same uh, uh, angle of performers and artists, there are so many rules that the average uh, theater goer doesn't even think of on both the part of the producers to, to adhere to, but also the performers themselves, like half hour. They have to be in the theater half an hour before a curtain. Mm-hmm. That's a, a very rigid rule that everybody adheres to. Like in your own website, uh, members' responsibilities, give your best possible performance. Um, be on time for rehearsals and scheduled half hours. So there's, there's really a code for both parties to adhere to, is there not? I think that's true, and I think a lot of that code really proceeds from the tradition of the theater going back in the English language to Shakespeare and before, um, that um, in addition to being a job and an adventure, being in the theater is a a special, almost spiritual vocation. And there's a responsibility about being an artist. And there's also a pride. There's a pride in craftsmanship and in and in and in being able to do your work that I find generally true among uh, among actors. You know, you, you you spend time with actors at a party or backstage, and there's there's a very thin veneer of cynicism because everybody loves to joke. Everything's irony. Everything's sarcastic, and there's a lot of horseplay and 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 ribald jokes and all that. But beneath that very thin veneer of kind of rough hewn cynicism is the heart of a an angel and a softy and cuz people really do this work because they care about it and they can't see themselves doing anything else I want to tease out some of the facts of your own life that have brought you to this position because you've you've dropped a few things along the way you got your equity card at the Walnut Street Theater in 1983 <laughs> we were sent a bio that tells us you were in the Broadway production of Big River yeah. yet you used the phrase a few minutes ago trying to be a Broadway actor um, but then you said you've spent your whole life you've really never wanted for work how did you come from being a solid employed working actor to wanting to take on a role in the union and indeed now a paid day job running running the union. My first day job. My first survival (laughs) job in 35 years. Executive director of the union. Um, Gee, you know, I I come from a working class family in South Philadelphia. My dad worked for the railroad for 40 years. My grandfather was a track welder and I have five younger brothers uh, who throughout their various livelihoods have been teamsters and, and, and steel workers and railroad workers, and now they're all teachers and second careers. It's kind of impressive, kind of great. My brothers are really, really great guys. And, um, you know, I've got a big family of Irish first cousins, 45 first cousins. And, you know, my entire life growing up as a kid in Philadelphia, the, the trade union movement was part of our life. It wasn't something alien apart. It wasn't something you kind of wondered about. It was it was part of the life, you know. You you go to the the transit workers uh, union the Thanksgiving party, uh, and everybody got a turkey, <laughs> and, and that's the first time you saw Santa Claus, and uh, uh, as they opened the Christmas season, and um, so you know, being a trade unionist was not really alien to me uh, in terms of my own family background, and um, and and also as I said earlier, the the notion of of getting your equity card was such a powerful. Uh, image 
for young performers when I was starting out in the in the early seventies that even before you realized it was a union, it was like I don't know what is this? Is it a club? Is it a cult? I don't care. I just want my equity card, man. And and everybody was like, really, when you when when one of our guys got their equity card, it was like, oh my lord. This guy has made it. And the first guy we knew who got our equity his equity card was Patrick Quinn, who was the 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 the, the president of Actors Equity up until the fall of this year when he was supposed to take this job that I have now back in the fall of 2006 and um, Patrick who started out in the theater with me together in in the early 70s in Philadelphia as well as the current president Mark Zimmerman we were all starting in the theater at the same time in fact Zimmerman was one of my roommates at one point and uh, but Patrick uh, was the first of all of us to get uh, his equity card and he was a hero to the young actors in Philadelphia nobody could believe it everybody was so thrilled and you know so Patrick and I have stayed close our, our whole adult lives and then uh, the, the the real tragedy of, uh, of uh, that Patrick Quinn uh, died literally days before he was supposed to take this job uh, had a profound effect not just on his friends and family but on the entire union and on Broadway uh, there was a wonderful memorial service this spring uh, that um, uh, that the Broadway community uh, came together on at the St. James Theater uh, with many people, producers and agents and performers, uh, speaking to 2,000 people who gathered. Uh, it was a profound moment, and Patrick was very, very much loved and really, really respected. And he was a great performer. He was great on stage, really fun, just a wonderful guy. But he was the first one of my gang to get their equity card. And that, you know, that made a trade unionist out of all of us. But I didn't really answer your question. No, you're doing a very good job <laughs> dodging it. So let's try to come back no, one more time. I don't want to dodge it. How did this happen? Well, look, since... Since it was second nature to me uh, to be a trade unionist um, because my family was that way and recognized that if you wanted a fair deal out of the employers, you better come together and uh, and exert some power. It made sense to me. Uh, and so I became an activist in Actors' Equity early on in my career as soon as I was able to get to New York where there was a, a lot of actors and an office and all that. And I served on the regional theater committee and, and helped negotiate a couple of contracts there. And then – uh, quite frankly, I, I I got very lucky and and, and started making uh, a lot of commercials and um, uh, started doing television as well as theater. Uh, and the 1980s uh, were great for me to be a New York actor and be like fully employed, which meant you know you do a radio spot in the morning, you go do a soap in the afternoon, you got a show at night, and you fit a reading in there of a new play somewhere. That was living. That was like the best life you could ever have. And a lot of that was because I had my unions behind me. I've never been a star. I've been a working actor for a long time, and I've always been working. But because I didn't have to make star money, you know, uh, I, I had to make a real living wage. Uh, and my unions gave me the, the, the backup to do that, whether I was making a television show or working in the theater. The combination of all the different kinds of, of, of acting work I did provided me with a great living, I was able to have a decent home. I had a. I have a son. Able to have a car. I mean, just like a grown up, just like a real grown up person. It was kind of weird. Like this is unusual, but um, the unions were very, very important to me as a person, 
as a worker, as an artist, because it was the it was the terms and conditions and the reasonable wages that we were able to earn when we worked, which allowed, quite frankly, in this country, it allowed for the creation of a permanent class of professional performers at a scale which was unknown before the unions were created. Uh, back in the 19th century, uh, when there was uh, quite a few actors in this country, uh, talk about a miserable, miserable life. It was You were at the mercy of every two-bit promoter um, who came by. There was a wonderful show that played at Manhattan Theater Club uh, in New York earlier this year called Our Leading Lady, which was about uh, the culture of the actor-manager. Uh, back in the 19th century, where one relatively famous performer would go from city to city uh, with his or her shows that they did and pick up a cast of itinerant performers along the way. And they basically had to do what they were told and under the terms that they were offered. Well, the unions began to change that and provide us with a reasonable return for when we worked. So as my life uh, evolved and I stayed lucky, which is beyond talent, the other condition for success. Stay lucky is my best advice. Um, I became involved in the unions because I realized that as a working performer who had benefited from our contracts and our health care, etc., that I had a responsibility to these unions because they were the only institutions in society that were directly responsible to me. And that if I didn't help lead them, um, I was evading my responsibility as a as a uh, as a working performer and a citizen, so I got involved and I kind of got involved, stayed involved, got bumped up here and there. Didn't really want to. No, no, no. I'm 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 kind of too busy to do that. Okay, I'll do it. Another committee, this that, and eventually I was elected president of of AFTRA. And what really evolved at that time is that I ended up with two full time jobs. I was pursuing my my work as an actor full-time, uh, most, mostly on television and, and in motion pictures at that time, but I still did a lot of theater uh, in the West. Um, and I had a full-time job as the president of AFTRA. One was paid acting, one was not as the president. But if you took the job seriously, um, you had a choice. You know, you could either be the kind of president who stands on the balcony and does the little princess wave, you know, that's one way to do it, or you can come up with a program and and try to uh, convince the union that it's the right set of ideas. You win people to it, and you build a leadership, and that's what I did. So it cost me a lot of time. But I was, uh, in a way, I guess, um, ready uh, for this transition, uh, although I got to say, um, as I said at Patrick Memorial, uh, standing in his shoes was not my choice, and I traded all to have him back standing in these shoes right now. An obvious question as you talk about having had two jobs, will this job still allow you to act or have you had to make a choice? <clears throat> I have had all theater seats that I sit in, uh, in whatever theater I'm going to see a show. Uh, I've had them all equipped with seat belts which I cannot release uh, because I'm straining to get out of the chair and onto the stage every time I go to the show. And uh, it's, it's, so, it's so wonderful to be so up close and personal with the best theater in the world. And it's, it's, it's really, it's torturous not to be acting. But the answer is no. Uh, in taking this job, I stepped away from my life as a performer. 
Uh, in fact, I have taken what is called honorary withdrawal from all of our unions um, uh, in order to concentrate full-time on this job. A, a couple of reasons suggest themselves here. First of all, it would be a little unseemly for me to be, per- to, uh, m- for me to be competing against my own members who are paying my salary for work. Secondly, if I have time enough to audition, or, uh, rehearse, and perform, I'm probably not doing my job. <laughs> so uh, I'll live on this side of the fence for now, although it's tough. Well, with a with a family background, uh, your father, your grandfather, other family members in unions, yourself as a working actor for 35 years or so, uh, six years as president of AFTRA, with all that experience, all that, that background, what do you hope to do now running uh, well, Actors' Equity? Uh, that's, a, that's an awfully good question. Um, I believe that the, uh, the officers and elected leadership at Actors' Equity asked me uh, to step in. Uh, to a role that I did not expect Um, because in part uh, a lot of folks know me I'm known uh, in the business Uh, again I'm not a star but my peers the working actors in most media know me Um, and I've been able to um, I suppose function at a level of success success uh, both as a performer and as a political leader um, that has, um, I guess, garnered me a, a modicum of respect um, as well as, I hope, affection um, by my peers. Um, I, I think some of the work I did at AFTRA as the president of AFTRA um, um, g- piqued the interest of the elected leadership at Equity. Um, I've I played a, a pretty big role in helping to move uh, the entire entertainment sector um, uh, of performers and other unions in our sector, which is a pretty big industrial sector, back towards uh, more involvement in the mainstream of the trade union movement. Uh, we have a lot more respect and understanding in the in the trade union movement than probably ever before. Now, I'm not saying this is all my doing at all. Uh, there's a very open, thoughtful leadership at the AFL-CIO and at Change to Win, uh, federation uh, who understand that the nature of the working class in this country has changed and that there's many more service workers and industrial workers. The nature of industrial work has changed. And they look around and they see, gosh, you know, unions are, 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 are in trouble in this industry and in that industry and they're shipping people's jobs overseas. And what do you, hey, look at this. Here's, a, here's an entire industry that's highly unionized with unions that seem to know what they're doing with a lot of really articulate a hardworking uh, expert workers. Gosh, that would be the media industries, and um, and so uh, it, it's been kind of exciting uh, to to play a role in that. Um, I think it's helped our unions and our performers uh, to um, to have the support of uh, of other workers, uh, both professionals and blue collar, uh, throughout the rest of the, the labor movement. And I think it's really helped the labor movement understand. Uh, the kind of work we do uh, and that we're not mascots or pets. We're actually serious people with serious needs. Now, there's um, what's referred to as the four A's, the Associated Mm -hmm. Actors and Artists of America, which includes Actors' Equity and AFTRA and SAG and some of the others. Mm -hmm. So when you're talking about the various labor movements, is it that that you're talking about or are you including the IA, IATSE and the Mm -hmm. the other 
Yeah, the theatrical union. I'm as actually, well. yeah, I'm actually IBW talking about and, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, uh, one of the one of the uh, benefits of of being the president of AFTRA is that I got to know a really broad range of uh, of uh, trade union leaders from across a whole lot of industrial sectors, because there are so many different unions involved. In uh, in the entertainment and media sectors, uh, so as you point out, the IBEW, who are electrical workers, they organize uh, uh, all kinds of radio and television workers across the country. Uh, Communication Workers of America uh, organize the uh, the Newspaper Guild, you know, uh, which, by the way, in in, um, in Puerto Rico, represents all the actors and all the uh, on on camera and uh, radio news people in Canada. So, uh it's been kind of interesting to meet people from across the, the range of the labor movement, but <clears throat> we've we've built really strong relationships with uh our our colleagues in the IATSE who are the stagehand the workers who work backstage with us uh who by the way whether you're in a theater or working in front of a camera, the first friend you had better make is a member uh, of of the crew stagehands because those ladies and gentlemen they know what they're doing they know where every pitfall is and they can save your life and have done so for me many a time <laughs> we began the interview by talking about why equity was formed and certainly we're not in the same place that that certainly the union was back in 1913 but what are the pressing issues what are the what are the things that are of concern to equity members in in this day and age <clears throat> Probably the issue that is that is uh, most broadly articulated as a concern and uh, often a fear uh, on the part of our members, um, there are probably two. One never changes. There's not enough work, right? Uh, so the, the membership of the union usually uh, grows a little faster than the work available. And can the union... The union can't create work. Well, in some ways, the union has created work because oh. without the relative, relatively low-wage subsidy that we have offered the regional theaters across this country, they don't pay Broadway rates, which is living wage. Mm-hmm. Um, without essentially the artist subsidy, those theaters would not have been able to get up on their feet and really survive. So equity in some measure, all proportions guarded, played a significant and real role in in spreading the professional theater nationwide by taking into account the fact that it's hard to raise the kind of capital that it takes to uh, to put together a consistently successful producing organization and all the fixed capital costs as well as as labor costs etc so we've played a big role and continue to play a big role in helping to make sure that the regional theaters not for profit theaters are able to function and sometimes quite frankly uh, that that kind of grates on our members because the wages can be very low indeed uh, but nonetheless, our members generally support that because they they care about the theater. Uh, the other piece that uh, people are, are always quite concerned about, uh, and rightfully so, is what are we going to do about health care? When are we going to get serious in this country about health care? The entire health care system is so broken uh, that it's, it's, it's shameful. And worse than shameful, it puts this country at a competitive disadvantage worldwide, where it's one of the few countries in the advanced industrial world which does not provide uh, health care as a right and as a social good, uh, thereby dumping that cost on enterprise. And everybody knows, or most people know now, that both retiree health costs 
and active worker health costs are can be crippling bur- burdens to American enterprise. And when you think uh, of the vast amount, and sadly, of waste and inefficiency in the profit-driven healthcare system that we have now, if you take that waste and inefficiency out of the system, we'd have a cheaper system with better results. That's what we think. But there are two of the issues that our members are really, really quite concerned about. Um, the other kind of wonderful concern that our members and the union has is that we are part of a domestic successful industry that is growing. That's good news. They're not shipping our jobs overseas because our jobs depend on people seeing us right here, right now in this place. And more jobs of the kind of work that we do are being created all throughout the country. And uh, it's our job as a union to make sure that professional standards are, uh, are observed uh, and that performers have a, a good shot at a living wage. But the good news under, under, underlying it all is that the theater is a growth industry. You raise an interesting point because it would be very easy for me to respond to what you just said and say, well, you can't ship our jobs overseas. They're performing here. But periodically through um, – the press, we hear about the issue of foreign actors working here, American actors working mm-hmm. on on foreign stages, in particular with England. And I'm wondering what your feeling is about <clears throat> the the freedom of performers to move between different countries, and whether there is a protectionist approach or mm-hmm. whether there is an open door approach. I, I think that's a, that's a fair question, and I think that. Um uh, what we need to look at uh, is a couple of factors. First of all, uh, it is true, simply true, that the largest concentration of non-U.S., non-resident uh, foreign performers who work in the United States are from the United Kingdom. Uh, there are cousins. Uh, there are fellow performers. Our traditions flow directly from the great traditions of the British theater, the English theater. Um, and so what we have done to address this question uh, is develop a very extensive and generally very satisfying exchange program uh, between the U.K. Uh, and uh, the United States, pr- primarily on Broadway uh, and off-Broadway, where um, large numbers of, uh, of uh, British performers uh, have been able to come to the United States and play significant roles in, in many different shows. Uh, and uh, in, in fair balance, uh, U.S. actors can go and work on British stages. Now, we've been able to, uh, to engineer this um, uh, over the last 30 years, uh, and it, uh, it would be a surprise to no one uh, in or around the theater to know that at one time or another this was an extremely delicate equation because just like uh, when auto workers uh, uh, back uh, in, when the when the Japanese imports were first coming into the United States could become enraged uh, at what appeared to be um, a threat direct threat to their jobs and they would attack uh, foreign cars right in parking lots things like that that might occasionally happen something like that um, uh, U.S. actors can develop the f- sense and feeling that all that the producers want to see are, are British actors. And, like, we don't count, right? We don't count on our home turf. Um, we have been able to successfully engage our members on this issue. 
uh, and engage the producers and our cousins in Great Britain on this issue by building this very sophisticated, very successful exchange program. And I think a lot of the dynamite has been kind of extracted from that situation. And uh, it is my advice uh, and counsel that uh, this is a good thing. It ain't broke. We don't have to fix it. We just have to make it work more and more. I mentioned before the four A's, which is kind of an Mm -hmm. umbrella title for five different unions under it. And many of your members, actors, equity members, are also, I presume, members of SAG, Screen Actors Guild, Mm -hmm. members of AFTRA, American Mm -hmm. Federation Television Radio Artists. Any thought to combining the unions? Would there be more strength in combining or the the interest too uh, disparate to... uh, Combine. No, that's a really good question. Um, by the way, if you don't mind, I've got, I've got, to, I just got to say something. One of the wonderful things about the Four A's, which uh-huh. is the original uh, performing artist federation that was chartered by the American Federation of Labor back in the early part of the 20th century, the actual name of it is the Associated Actors and Artists right. of America. Right. You got to love that because right. artists right. right. with, with, with is, an e at the end. The, the vaudeville <laughs> it doesn't sound like a real union. I know <laughs> it's great, but it is that's a reference to the vaudevillians. You know, uh-huh. it's just so cool. You know? Yes, I, I juggle plates. That's you know, I'm an artiste. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, we do have uh, really significant overlapping memberships with AFTRA and Screen Actors Guild, also with the American Guild of Musical Artists, AGMA, uh, and to some extent AGVA, which are the variety artists. Um, whether you know whether we ought to um, uh, move forward to try to merge our our unions into a single organization is a question which has dogged all of us since at least. 1938 or 39, when the first study recommending that Screen Actors Guild and AFRA, the American Guild or American Federation of Radio Artists, merge, and and uh, and, and I think SAG was founded in 30, 33, and AFTRA was founded in 37. So it was like an issue right away. Um, AFTRA and Screen Actors Guild have attempted merger twice in the last five or six years, and. Um, it hasn't quite come together either time. It's unfortunate, I believe. I think it was the right thing to do. But people make the decisions and move on. Um, would it be interesting to have a, a closer federation relationship with all of the performers in the live uh, uh, performance world? I think so. And I think we work pretty well with our colleagues at AGMA who cover basically ballet and opera and and concert performances uh, and uh, with our colleagues at AGVA who cover the traditional variety arts. Now, what's interesting about AGVA is that uh, in some sense, AGVA may be the smallest of of our sister unions right now, but in terms of job growth, it actually is in the area which is growing most rapidly, which is in kind of variety entertainment. And if you think about the growth of gaming as an industry, whether you're talking about the Mississippi Valley, the Gulf Coast, Vegas, Atlantic City, et cetera, et cetera, Branson, uh, and not to mention the Indian territories. The fact of the matter is the kind of entertainment that's being created in those venues are is either uh, AGVA, variety entertainment, or equity, uh, theatrical entertainment. And so there's a whole new source of jobs that we need to analyze, take a look at, work with some of our allies in the labor movement, like HERE, the Hotel and Restaurant Workers Union, and in terms of thinking about how you bring professional conditions uh, to those areas of employment. Before we wrap up, I want to ask, we, we spoke about the fact that you've just come into this job. You are following uh, someone who of long tenure who was an attorney before coming to the union. Mm-hmm. What do you think you as a working <clears throat> actor bring to this different than someone who is 
a previous union executive or attorney or comes from another walk of life? No, that's, that's, that's again, more than a fair question. I am not an attorney. I have, however, played one on TV. I just had to say that. Um, uh, <laughs> and I played one on stage, too. A guy named John Connolly. I played Levinsky in Nuts. Can you believe that? Uh, just shows you how, how versatile you have to be to, to, to work on stage. Um, Alan Eisenberg, who was our former executive director and who retired last fall, um, really played a noble role at Actors' Equity for many, many years. I was there on his first day of work, and I was uh, there to help see him off when he retired and stepped down. Um, and uh, he uh, he has left a, a, a great le- legacy of achievement. Um, he helped. He oversaw the greatest growth in the union, the increase in sophistication in terms of how we do our work. And, of course, his... Um, his experience as an attorney uh, served him in, in good stead. Uh, I'm, as I said, not an attorney. What I bring to the job is is a real understanding, I think, uh, of the actual immediate conditions of a performer's life. Uh, I've raised a family on a performer's pay. I've, I've owned a home, you know, a car, kind of things that were out of reach of performers for many, many years, without, unless you were a star. And... Um, you know, and I, you know, I've, 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 I've done the one night tours, and I've, and I've done the sit down performances and TV and everything else, and so I've been really fortunate. But I've, I've kind of done pretty much all the kinds of jobs you can do as an actor. I mean, I've worked from L.A. to Broadway and just about every place in between, and I've loved it. It's been a great life. I think it's taught me enough about the real visceral issue, issues that 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 our members feel about and care about because I've lived it to uh, to in an empathetic way um, be able to understand why people want what they want and what they demand I've also had an extraordinary uh, the extraordinary good fortune to have been a successful political figure in one of our sister unions which taught me a whole lot about things I never thought I would learn about I've conducted major national negotiations with networks and studios um, uh, with billions of jobs, uh, billions of dollars uh, of wages at stake. Um, I've delved into intricate issues of intellectual property rights uh, for performers uh, and uh, fought the, uh, fought the, uh, the ownership uh, issues in front of the FCC, the Federal Communications Commission. Um, so I think I've brought a, I, I bring... Uh, not only a wealth of experience as a performer who had to make my way without any guarantees, but also uh, I've been blessed uh, by being part of a, a group of organizations, uh, Screen Actors Guild and AFTRA and Equity, that have really kind of trained me to be a responsible citizen and a responsible adult. And I've learned the businesses that I've been in. I understand how they work. I know their financing schemes. I know how they fit into American industry. And I think I bring kind of an interesting, hopefully, and unique uh, perspective to that uh, as a uh, both an activist and uh, a performer. I hope it's uh, I hope it's good enough for the gig. At the beginning of our discussion, I mentioned uh, your equity card that actors are so proud when they finally get their equity card. I mentioned equity rules, which, of course, govern the relationship between the producers and the, the performers and what they do and can, can and cannot do. I also mentioned Broadway Cares Equity Fights AIDS. Yep. What is the union's role in that? Well, the union um, has a um, has a, a wonderful and honorable role in that. Um, in fact, um, Actors' Equity was about the first institution in our society to step up 
and try to demystify AIDS, to raise funds for people living with AIDS, to, uh, to sweep aside the curtain of ignorance and fear, uh, and did it in a really dramatic way. And Patrick Quinn, to his everlasting credit, played a central role in that happening. Uh, God bless him. And uh, uh, so we, we, we've had a, a really uh, important role in the development of, of Broadway Cares Equity Fights AIDS, and it's one which we'll, we'll be proud of forever. In addition to our early work there, and then, of course, uh, Broadway Cares Equity Fights AIDS has spun off and become a tremendously and deservedly so uh, successful uh, charity. Uh, organization that's still doing extraordinary work. Uh, but in, in addition to our early work there, uh, every year our members participate in countless fundraisers um, uh, of, a, of an extraordinary nature. I mean, just nobody can be crazier or more or more exciting and, and creative than uh, than performers when they're like given a leash, take them off the leash, let them go. I remember back in the 80s at the early days of what is called the Easter Bonnet Competition, which is held every year on Broadway. And, you know, it'd be like 25 people to get together once a year and make funny hats and everybody would like contribute 25 bucks and that was a fundraiser for equity fights aids well now the easter bonnet competition is so massive every broadway show puts together a special production number and they compete against each other and at the end of each production number they produce their easter bonnet and it takes place around easter every year and they use a broadway theater this year i think it was the uh, i think it might have been the minskoff i'm not sure but it was jam-packed with people paying admission to see this fantastic show and it was so thrilling to see that amazing talent all in a good service. And so our members are still in there carrying the weight. It always amazes me how giving your members are of their time and their talents for causes like that. Well, I think that um, I, I think that there's uh, there's a certain uh, attitude of the heart that uh, performers have, and beneath again that thin veneer. That so thin veneer of cynicism and hard-boiled <laughs> attitude. Uh, our people are so full of love uh, and spirit, uh, and I think that's what drives them to to be actors. And um, and and I, and they share that in many ways. I'm I'm really fortunate to be part of this community. I think that's a very good point, John, uh, to, to say that and also to say thank you for being with us today on Downstage Center, John Connolly, Executive Director of Actors Equity. Thank, Thank you. you so much. I really, really appreciate the opportunity. Thanks, John. For the American Theatre Wing, I'm Howard Sherman, reminding our listeners that these programs and all of the educational and media work of the American Theatre Wing is available online, on demand, for free, from our website, www.americantheaterwing.org. And for XM Satellite Radio, I'm John Von Susten for Downstage Center. That is a wrap, and thank you. The American Theatre Wing encourages all of our podcast fans to share our programs with friends and colleagues, but we remind you that any commercial distribution, commercial use of our programs, or program modification is prohibited without our express permission. We appreciate your cooperation and invite you to contact us with any questions. Thanks for listening. If you're enjoying the podcasts of Downstage Center, Help us in our efforts to share the best in theater with listeners everywhere by writing a review for iTunes or for your favorite podcast directory. Thanks so much.